What's going on, everybody? This is SecDevOps.ai. Yes, sir. Welcome back <laughs> to the show. Glad to be back again. We have another guest. Yes, and this is another guest of honor, Derek E. from Vectra. Uh, I've known Derek for quite some time. We have uh, actually have a pretty cool story of how we met, <laughs> but before we jump into that, I would love for you, Derek, to introduce yourself. Yeah, yeah. Nice to nice to be here, and thanks for having me, guys. Um, yeah, so my name is Derek Eid. I uh, work at a, I would say, mid-stage startup company now called Vectra. Been there roughly about three years. Um, passionate about cybersecurity, music, uh, baseball as a whole. But uh, yeah, enjoyed to be here and kind of hear your guys' perspective and share what I learned about the industry as well. Welcome, welcome. Yes, welcome to the show. I got to hear about this this story. I was like, <laughs> forget his intro. Like, tell me about this story. Yeah. So. Uh, you know how good analytics are for like Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Well, we were at the airport and uh, we just happened to both be having a layover in LA. I was like, hey, you know, what's up? You know, kind of crowded in here, right? It's like, yeah, where are you going? We're both going to Black Hat. And uh, we departed and said, later, see you later. And that was it. Right. Uh, a week goes by. Of course, LinkedIn is like, hey, do you know Ronald Eddings? <laughs> <laughs> so random. Um, and on top of that, too, is we were about to be missing our flight. So yeah. him and I are like running through the airport to get on it, to get to Black Hat. And then oh, from there, no. kind of sprouted organically. Jeez, yeah. that's insane. Yep. So uh, he knew me at my Intel days. We talked shop uh, quite a few times. And one of the things that I've always appreciated about you, Derek, is, you know, your passion for one security and also the to up your game in all aspects of like, how can I sell this better? How can I learn more about the technology? So it uh, definitely inspires me, you know, through our friendship. Yeah, absolutely. I think salespeople kind of get a bad rap because I think sales is such a trade craft that I think is is misdone quite often. Yep. Same, similar to threat intelligence. I see bad threat intel services and I, I hate to say bad threat intel analysts because they, they might be just new or mm -hmm. maybe they are lazy or maybe they just are just misguided. But I see that sort of bastardized quite often. Yeah. What are some of the things that you see out there from a sales perspective? You're like, oh, come on. Why are you guys doing that? Yeah, I would say there's a there's a few things, right? You, you probably see it over LinkedIn because you guys are both pretty active. But right. it, I guess it would probably be from the same as like a vendor side for security is where they basically say, you buy this, we'll solve all your problems. And that's, right. I would say, is very similar to sales. Um, and then you have a lot of tools that automate kind of email flow and things of that nature, mm -hmm. which creates this whole can spam act, a lot of these things where mm -hmm. rather than creating a connection, selling yourself, and then once you build up trust, then working that as a relationship builder. Absolutely. People then have now tried to take shortcuts. It's like, how do I just send you 20 emails over 30 days and I don't have to put a human element into it? So. Yep. There's a lot of factors that people think that I would say it's very similar to any job person who's passionate about their job. The the more you put in, the more you'll get out. And if you try and take the easy route, that's where a lot of salespeople try and do. Right. Is where it kind of creates that weird relationship, I would say. Yeah, it's crazy because I, I feel like I hate being around bad salespeople. But <laughs> good salespeople, like I love good salespeople because they like they make you feel like they're your best friends. And it's yeah. like, oh, man, I want to be around this guy all the time. Mm -hmm. People do business with people they like. Yeah. And I love I love a good salesman, how they'll check up on you and like, hey, like, is everything still good? Like, we don't have to talk shop. We could talk about you for a while. And 
you know, uh, just kind of develop a better relationship rather than always trying to sell something. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of movement that I see, especially, you know, in a role like what you manage, you manage a inside sales team, mm -hmm. I see a lot of movement. What, from your perspective, what movements do you see from inside sales teams and also general cybersecurity? Yeah. Uh, I think that's actually where we first started our conversation around it is what's crazy is we see a lot of cybersecurity professionals flipping over because they have a great skill set and then they realize well i've probably developed and i've probably built out a lot of tools now let's take it to the customer facing side so whole new sets of challenges all new mm -hmm. levels of stress just kind of pushed in a different way right um depending on if a, if a salesperson is very technical there's a lot of routes they can go into of right. what i've seen from my team uh, everything from like business development of creating partnerships from the technology side um, channel focused things uh, marketing as well customer success for post-sale analysis um, so it, it's really cool. It, it definitely opens up the gate. It, but what's great is if you come in and you hit your metrics and you do what you've promised the business you've told, a lot of times it opens up a lot of doors and maybe sales is just kind of your first stepping stone into your career. So do you see some uh, engineers going to sales? Do you uh, uh, interact with people that have made that type of shift or is it do you find the opposite sales going to trying to be cyber engineers? Yeah, it's. I would say more of it has been cyber over into sales um yep. so kind of like a um maybe if you call it solutions engineer which right. is really a security engineer but um customer facing mm -hmm. so i've seen a lot of that and that's really cool because then you you're really valuable to the business and i've seen actually a lot of um high level security folks switch over there because then it's like business wants people who can be in front of a customer and be trustworthy and show up in a professional manner so that's a hard skill set to teach people yeah absolutely yeah, I think that kind of uh, <laughs> paints my background, right? Uh, going from uh, being a practitioner for an enterprise organization to someone who's working with customer success and seeing what happens after a product is being sold. Yeah. So there's definitely movement <laughs> from that aspect. I can't tell you how many times people have tried to get me into the sales engineering side or even just sales in general. I've... I've I've wanted to do it so bad because I, I like engaging with people. I like the people side of cyber more so than the technical side. Obviously, you have to be technical. You have to have your trade craft locked down. But I love talking to people and like solving people's problems. And mm -hmm. so I think really good salespeople, as long as they have a good product that's behind them, I think you can do a lot of good. And so I've always thought about like, what would it be like to be a, a salesperson? But Unfortunately, my career has kind of kept me on this side of the, the fence, but <laughs> I, I appreciate you guys being, you know, customer focused and, uh, and being good practitioner, practitioners in your tradecraft. At one time, Ron said he would never be sales, so. Yeah, Ooh. I did. Really? <laughs> when we first met, I was like, there's no way I'm going to be working with all these different types of organizations and enterprises. But, you know, it's uh, I think that it's actually very fulfilling for me, but it's the grass is always greener, you know. You, you want a long-term project, but you also want diversity and Absolutely. seeing all these different uh, infrastructure and organizations. Yep. Yeah, I don't think we've ever really talked about the sales component of what you do, because I know you do a lot of like problem solving, but is there actually like a, a big sales or sales engineering component that, to your job? Yeah, you know, after the product uh, or service is bought, there's always something else that could be purchased. You right. know, uh, I think that uh, providing great consultation, great service to a customer 
they're gonna they're gonna start just naturally asking like what else do you guys provide you know do you guys provide optimization do you guys provide you know these business reviews for you guys to uh understand our problems and start mm -hmm. to implement more right wow yeah so i think that's where i uh definitely lend my expertise because i've experienced these issues and i'm just relating to someone that had my issues and i genuinely want to solve them yeah Oh, that's great. One that of the things that I think is overlooked a lot is, you know, when we see these shifts, we see especially engineers switching to sales for maybe compensation benefits. Yep. Uh, sometimes it can be passion. How do you guys feel about career, uh, you know, the opportunity to make money versus the passion? Yeah, I would say it's in a mix, right? Um, usually the people that will go in and put a ton of time in and a ton of effort usually want more compensation and maybe money is the thing that drives them. But yeah. um, I feel from just the amount of learning that you could do in a technical space, especially cyber mm -hmm. um, and software as a whole, just from open source and different environments, like every day should be a new challenge. And if that's not what gets you up in the morning, then maybe there's bigger companies that you go work for that aren't as cool to, uh, to be involved with. But right. I really enjoy the aspect of every single day is different. I work have the uh, pleasure of working with a lot of hackers and a lot of data mm -hmm. scientists. Yep. So it's great to even see their perspective and what they struggle with. And um, just from, I would say, even a nation state is very passionate because I know this industry will continue to grow. Mm -hmm. it's, it's very challenging, as you both are probably aware. But it, it's great to see that it's something that you can put your mind to that you know is actually good for the country, but also good for other companies. Absolutely. is makes it more fun to sell. I guess you, like, I came from hardware before, mm -hmm. like doing circuit boards and semiconductors. Right. Yeah. Cool, but you never saw the end product, right? It's yeah. just one part of the, the, the puzzle. So it's great to just kind of see a, a whole new realm of everyone working together because we've built so fast on the internet yep. and no one had yes. security involved. So that was a great way to uh, just kind of lock in a good position. Absolutely. I feel like having the nexus between passion and income is like the holy grail. Luckily, I've been in that space. Uh, it's especially with Netflix, being able to have a good income and actually do what I actually love. But I feel like not everybody gets the opportunity, unfortunately. And so I've always been on the side of passion. As long as you can meet your basic needs, you know, maybe you have to scrimp and save and budget and maybe you can't eat out every night or, or do fine dining all the time. <laughs> but if you're doing something you love, I think that's way a way better way, a better way to live than searching for money. Because I feel like you'll you'll end up empty in the end. Yes, you. That's that's always how it is. Unfortunately, uh, I see a lot of struggle early in in one's career. You know, maybe you have to do a lot of copying and pasting to provide intelligence reports, right? Or yep. performing cold calls to very cold customers, right? What so, is what are some pieces of advice that you can lend someone for? waiting for their passion to be exercised upon they know they want to be in the field but currently they have to take this route into uh maybe cybersecurity or this industry how do you how do you guys uh recommend navigating the suck in the beginning yeah i would say um patience and have a long-term uh, outlook is the best advice i've received because um, prior to coming to vectra the company i was working for had a big layoff pretty much everyone in the sales team was gone so Oof. some people take that to heart, but mm -hmm. I studied business. And so you kind of understand that, hey, this is just natural course. You're also in a startup. So you've taken on that risk. But 
everyone, I would say, always has a short-term perspective, and that usually causes people a lot of harm as they look to their career because then they think on short-term analysis, then they probably get into the money thing too because they probably spend right. on short-term analysis yep. rather yep. than looking at big picture. <laughs> yep. um, but if, if you're just patient and you put your head down and grind, I feel like no matter what, you'll always be taken care of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree with that. The other thing I would say is appreciate the grind. Yes. Like, even those cold calls, like especially those cold calls, I think is where a lot of growth happens for your salesperson. Oh, yeah. And for me, it's it's definitely having your stuff torn to shreds when you're you're putting in a, a product. You're like, here's my product. I worked for a whole hour on it. And is it good? No, it's terrible. It's Redo it. <laughs> and that's where that growth happens. Like, okay, okay, I got to retweet this word. And that's how I became like a wordsmith when it comes to actually producing Intel. So mm-hmm. all that grind actually leads you to, to master your craft. Yeah. What about you, Ron? So that's, I'm glad you said that. You know, I think it's so important to respect the process. Yeah. And one of the quotes that I like to remind myself is that warriors love the process. Yeah. You have to love everything about the the highs and lows of projects yep. because at the end, if you love the process and you've done your due, due diligence, then you'll have something to be very proud of at the end. Mm-hmm. It, it is tough to not be short-sighted, though. Yeah, yeah, it is. Not only look at what's directly in front of you, but I think that if you do a lot of writing, then it's easier to start to see, like, all right, I've wrote about this. I know that I'm going to have to do this part that's not that fun. I could cross it off the list after I get completed. So having like a plan of attack yep. is uh, for your career, I would I would say, is a great place to start. Yeah, sometimes I feel like this day and age with social media and such access to information makes things very quick and people start to think that everything should come quick. Yep. So I started my speaking like literally like this year for like the community i've done speaking like in the marine corps and at national security agency cyber command and all that stuff but it was different but now i've begun to like do public speaking like Mm -hmm. with big crowds big audiences and i'm i'm in the infancy of that journey and in the beginning i'm like when I get feedback, it's like, ooh, ah, ooh, that hurts, oh, oh, but it's the grind, like, <laughs> yeah. appreciate it. So, like, uh, I did a, a talk yesterday, and I had a, a friend there, Charles, I was like, Charles, I want you to, like, nitpick every single thing about my set. I want everything that you see that is wrong or can be improved, let's improve it. Mm-hmm. And people are like, no, I want to be great now, and without any growth whatsoever. <laughs> and that's just not how life is. Yeah, not at all. Um that's so true to kind of discipline yourself and allow others to critique you to develop yep. over the course of your career. I know that that was one of the hard lessons I learned uh, a little bit later, honestly. Yeah. Uh, and I think that you've been a great wealth of feedback for myself. And even just knowing people like Derek, they're able to kind of see you from an outsider point of view right. and give you the valuable feedback you need to move forward. Yep. Yeah, I'm still trying to get him to be a manager, so that's kind of the, <laughs> the next step. <laughs> yes, yes. One day, one day, maybe maybe the day is today. I think you'd be a great manager. <laughs> <laughs> Managing the show, that's that's my responsibility <laughs> for now. Um, you know, we were talking about sales, and I think uh, having the opportunity to sell something comes from uh, a customer having missing things, having a requirement, having a necessity. Uh, how do how do you guys feel about the necessities today? Do you think that it's more along the lines of integration, 
product to product. Uh, maybe it's having more robust applications for responding to data. Uh, what do you think is the place that's falling short today in the cyberspace? You want to go first? You want me sure. To no, I'll, I'll take it first. Uh, so one thing that kind of turned into like the sales buzzword that I think is actually valid is like trying to have a single pane of glass. Because if you have analysts that are going through all of these different portals, like trying to piece together data, that's just inefficient. But mm -hmm. if you could have something like a really well-architected sim that you could actually like have all your data in one place, maybe you have some dashboards, maybe you have some alert logic, like all in that, that, that space, and maybe it's tied to a ticketing system so you can actually like funnel data back and forth, I think is really important. I think you get into a space where you might have a lot of money, you have a big budget for cybersecurity, and then you buy all these products. But mm -hmm. the, all these products don't talk. Yeah, And you're missing some of the value in each of those products when you onboard them all, you don't operationalize it, and then they're just sitting on a shelf. Yeah, exactly. And I look at it from the same perspective as us, like a, a big kind of, I guess you could say, sim for um, salespeople is a salesforce.com. Right, yep. Essentially yeah. a, a data, <laughs> yeah. data lake where you can um, bring in your own integrations. Yeah. And mm -hmm. We won't evaluate tools unless it, it sticks into our Salesforce and it has an integration there. That's great. So, yeah, so some people don't understand that what the API calls are and how much work it goes to um, making sure those are running correctly, yep. so the mm -hmm. tube's running. Right. Um, but, yeah, we won't even look into anything else unless it has an open API um, to integrate to. So I think that's a big um, factor of success. I also hear a lot of just different ways that people can um, feed the information but make it consumable to maybe someone that hasn't used that tool before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, that seems to be a big thing. And then I, I probably agree with you. It's just if it doesn't talk with other tools, it's yeah. really going to make your job a lot harder. Absolutely. Yep. One of the things that I've been hearing about is definitely the single pane of glass, but right. I've been hearing the term multiple, multiple glasses of pain. You what? Know, you, <laughs> you have all of these single panes of glass, but they turn into multiple glasses of pain instead. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because yeah, yeah, okay. they don't integrate well right. or they're not robust enough to yeah. talk to another device in the way that you need to talk to yeah. or product or right. API service. I think that from my perspective, integrations is definitely the number one thing. Like, I've never actually heard that before. Get these multiple glasses of pain out of my network. <laughs> For a second, I was like, what do you have? Just like multiple glasses of pain? And I was like, oh, it means pain. And it's like, ouch. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I think that uh, one of the things that I would like to see going forward is just more integrations on both sides. Uh, I see... Maybe one product integrates with another one, but you have to interface with that product instead of maybe your uh, the other one that you're initially using is doesn't have like an integration page or some aspect to it. Right. Um, I, I'm a huge fan of central logging. Yeah. Uh, putting putting the data somewhere. Yeah. It's a start. Yeah, it <laughs> is a start. <laughs> so that's can't a, fight what you can't see. But when it comes to that, uh, we always hear the question: build versus buy. Whew. That's a mm -hmm. that's a loaded one. It is a loaded one. I was actually thinking about that today on the drive down here. <laughs> Perfect. <Yes. laughs> Segue us in. Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. No. So I, I started thinking about it because um, I have the luxury of spending a lot of time with our product team, yep. um, and we have different product managers for different lines. And it's just it's really interesting to talk to them about how like the evolution of open source came in. Right. They kind of foresee that the evolution from there will go. People will then start sharing best practices for AI and machine learning, or machine learning to achieve AI. Yep. But 
it's really interesting for the perspective of when people have money to build out teams. Let's say, for example, they're building their own models in an elk stack. Mm-hmm. Once that person leaves, if the other person that's following them doesn't know what they're doing, yeah. those algorithms kind of go to crap, and then no one's really updating it. So I always kind of go back and forth. It's like, do you want someone to specialize that right. and do that as their job yep. from an outside perspective? Because then if they leave, then at least you have that company to help you with making sure that everything's running. Yep. So it's a, it's a very interesting line, and I'd love to gather your guys' opinions too, especially with like certain forms of metadata now where people are writing in. And right. It's almost like when like we were talking with Marco um, about Splunk, where it's just he's an extreme asset because not many people know how to use Splunk. So mm-hmm. he's kind of uh, created a, a good little circle for himself but it leaves the company in a weird perspective yeah yeah absolutely i actually talked about this a bit uh yesterday when we were at a conference uh but netflix is a huge build we have some of the in my opinion some of the best developers some of the best engineers like in the world and quite often we're able to build our own stuff and in fact we open source quite a bit of it uh, Mm -hmm. on github you can go check out all the things that we've put out there are companies that have uh, taken our solutions internally and and use them to to great extents but also there are times where we see that it would take too much too many cycles and too much manpower or person power to actually get a, a a minimum viable product right uh, so then we just go out and we buy hmm. we buy something that we want to use and a lot of times we actually customize it and so we work with the vendor or whoever is supplying the application and we customize it to our needs so it's a blend of both nice yeah that's it's all it's always uh tricky you have great solutions and you have great engineers which one do you decide to let do most of the heavy lifting I think now with uh, the introduction of many more open source projects, it's a little easier to get a bit of both. I know there's some uh, a lot of product companies that are taking open source projects and just providing support for those projects. Like Mm -hmm. I think OS Query is one of them. They have a few vendors where you can buy OS Query support, but you're still benefiting from that open source code base. Yep. Yep. Uh, I think that those situations are ideal. They're yeah. not the most stable for maybe a large enterprise because have those applications been specifically built to scale? Mm. Uh, that's a that's a whole other topic on its own. Um, I I I typically lean more towards the buy route. Build on top of what you purchase, um, and hopefully it's agnostic enough. If you need to rip it out, you can replace it with something else yeah absolutely mm-hmm. yeah and I would, I would probably say that's still going to just take us down over the next 10 years um but it, it depends on the skill level right mm-hmm. you probably deal with a lot of people who like what we talked about where you leverage so much automation that you leverage themselves out of a job but <laughs> yeah. there still needs a human to say i don't know if this is good or bad but right. i need a human to say yes or no yep. oh yeah yeah absolutely and even if you have all this automation built automations break all the time all the time yeah man. so having someone being able to maintain that automation is huge mm-hmm and you know when you go down the route of automation uh, you're gonna need to replace APIs you know we'll yep. see APIs go from 2.0 to 3.0 and it's different yep. uh, data structure mm-hmm. uh, so you'll you'll definitely need an engineer or an analyst to observe those problems and then to fix them so I think that they're really just opening themselves up to a wider set of problems that's yep. gonna enable their career even a bit more. Yep. When I'm working with organizations, I'm always encouraging them to uh, figure out what's broken about it. Like, all right, this is, this did break about your your workflow, but what did you what did you learn? How are we going to take this information 
and make this workflow better and make your skill set better so you don't break it again. Right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, but when you break it, a lot of times it, it's a good thing. Yeah. Maybe sometimes it's by mistake, but it pushes you forward. Mm -hmm. So with your your background in sales, it sounds like you're still really in touch with technology and cybersecurity in general. Is that something you have to do like in your off time? Is it a part, do you make it a part of your role to sort of stay abreast of all the changes in your company internally and then also externally as well? Yeah, I would say it's, it's a mixture of both. Um, I guess it's uh, the, the value of when you're able to connect with engineers. Because right. I like nerding out on things. And yeah. um, even if it's like talking about Raspberry Pi on a circuit board. To yeah. me, is, it's great. And it builds up this bond because no one wants to hang out with the salesperson, doesn't know any type of technology. And I'm probably the other side too, where it's like, right. I want to hang out with you guys to learn like what are your challenges you're facing. It's just even if you can teach me something. So yeah. um, I just love hearing about that because you, you're only as good as what you sell from the perspective of if you're going to put your name on it, then it's kind of part of you when right. someone sees you. But I just love really hearing about challenges and then um, taking that to the technical level, which is always I'm not as strong as you guys would be, but I like getting my feet wet and just kind of seeing the challenges you guys face too. Yeah. yeah. Being able to be in the ring and uh, learn a bit more is all, it goes so far. Yeah. What, uh you know, what skill set is required to become a salesperson? Uh, let's, you know, we talked about the shift a bit, but what's required to actually make the shift into sales, being an engineer or not? Yeah. Let me ask a, a question to both of you. Did you ever play sports growing Absolutely. up? Absolutely. Yep. So I guess, I guess it's a skill set that's built there um, from the foundation of being accountable, um, holding yourself to a high standard, knowing how to show up on time, and then obviously executing, which I, I think are really soft skills that are built as a kid. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of uh, translate over when you go into um, a sales position. Mm -hmm. So I guess it is high stress and everything, but I would say it's the same amount of stress that you guys face from a security level, but just kind of pushed into a different avenue. But it's um, high high intensity, but also a brand new day. Yeah. And what's good is whatever happened yesterday, you can change it the next day. So that's what I really enjoy about it. How important is the ability to listen? as a salesperson i would say that is like the career bender yeah <laughs> career for some people <laughs> yeah like I, my my grandpa always told me it's like listen um three times the amount that you talk yeah and that is very difficult for someone to teach someone yeah just yes. because of the fact that if if you listen you're way more valuable but we're always taught to like oh be outspoken be yourself yeah which i think is little misconstrued is there uh, a practical thing that you do to ensure that you're you're having that three to one ratio yeah so I always kind of think of it from the perspective of does something need to be said right there or mm -hmm. can you just listen maybe a couple more seconds so you always listen for the you know the awkward pause yeah I would say that is the strongest if a salesperson can recognize that that is the strongest because a lot of times people are gonna segue into another challenge or tell you something more yeah but salespeople jump right into there Mm. Oh, that's 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 a good little nugget. It's a good <laughs> nugget. That's why I love doing this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, one of the things that uh, I learned and heard about is you can't learn unless you're listening. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So that's what what's something that you require a salesperson to uh, be able to make it past the inbox? What's something that you would like to see more out of, like especially LinkedIn because right. we're so active on that platform? Yeah. It, the human aspect i get so many like cold calls or or cold messages jumping right into 
hey, how would you like to hear about our new solution? Like, I mean, like that instantly like kind of just turns me off. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I said this in another uh, episode, but I really appreciate it when I say, hey, my name is this. I just I love what you're doing or I, I love Netflix. Just wanted to reach out, wanted to make you a part of my network. Cool. Then they follow up with like a nice funny joke, something that, like makes me laugh. And then they lead into, uh, hey, w would you like to have coffee? And then the answer is more than likely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So the human aspect, you know, people do business with people that they like. And yes. so I am more apt to bring them in, even if I don't have the intention of necessarily buying, like just having a good conversation, because maybe six months down the road, I might actually have a need for that. And I'm mm -hmm. like, you know what? I know exactly who I need to reach out to for the solution. Awesome. Yeah. yeah and. What's interesting, too, is from your guys' fan base, I bet you there'll be one salesperson that's listening that's trying to get a hold of you that will take that <laughs> nugget, which is great. So I wanted yeah. to maybe flip around the question. is right. like, what are your biggest pet peeves from salespeople who are reaching out to you? Like, you mentioned one right there, but I guess what's a point where it just kind of goes, wow, I just can't stop? Yeah, so the one big pet peeve is I can't answer everybody because I, I probably get – few dozen messages a week from just random folks it's the people that incessantly email after i've just kind of like ah, i'm not going to respond because mm -hmm. it, it, it would just take too much time to respond to everybody mm -hmm. but then they continue to email and message and say hey did you see my last email did you see my last email or this is my final reach out like that they almost like put like ultimatums like this is my final reach out and if you do not answer me <laughs> we are done i'm just kind of like we never started. Yeah, I know. I uh, should probably and, not answer this one either. Yeah, and, and I'm the type of person I, I like talking to people, uh, even if, it, if I have to stop what I'm doing and, and sort of answer people, just even people that just need help. Uh, and so it, it actually is a muscle that I'm working is in saying no and then also just kind of like not giving everybody time because time is, in my opinion, one of the most valuable resources. Yes, do you, and from your side too, Ron, do you see, see the same thing? Yeah, so I actually get quite a few emails, very generic. Um, yeah. I, I'm starting to think that some of these sales guys are engineers or developers because like, they have these templates, and I'm sure they have curly bracket first oh, name, yeah. curly bracket last name. Yeah, I've seen it where it comes <laughs> through and they forgot to change out the, the name. Yeah. So something in their automation's broken is mm -hmm. like curly bracket. <laughs> yep, and uh, one of uh, one of my pet peeves is uh, just not taking the time to see what someone's name is. So I've had a few people send me cold emails uh, and say Roland. It's like, oh, okay, mm -hmm. that's different. Definitely not going to respond there. Right. Some good uh, music production equipment right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what I, one thing that I always appreciate is definitely just a natural conversation. We don't have to talk about tech. We don't have to talk about security. Yep. We could talk about even the person that's uh, emailing me for the first time. Right. Like, hey, I'm having this situation. I want to learn more about this, or I want to ask you about your opinion on something. I want to kind of gather your expertise. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I think that there's always nuggets to give. There's always relationships to be had. Um, so I would say for me, just natural relationship, natural connection, there's no reason to force a sale immediately. Like if I'm gonna buy something, I'll buy it. Right. Like, but let's let's have the dialogue first. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. I wanted to ask you. I know you produce music, and this is actually something that I ask like candidates when I do interviews. Yep. Is there anything in music that makes you better at sales? That's actually a great question. Um, 
I think it's the way that since sales move so quickly and right. I have to interact with different people, different time zones, different mm-hmm. cultures, all that fun stuff. And then the other element of being customer facing, I use it actually kind of like a Zen. Um, yeah. Some people think of like, oh, producer, DJ, all that. They're like, oh, so you're out late at night partying at nightclubs. It's right. like, that's probably the place I wouldn't want to be. Yep, exactly. So it's a way for me to kind of separate. I don't have to listen to anyone. I don't have to talk to anyone. I'm all there with, and I love music. I've loved it from just from it being passed down from my parents and stuff. Right. So once you get to a certain spot with like DJing, then it's like, how do I take this one step further? How do I produce? Um, and, and I really like the, the aspect of it is because you might just do horrible one day producing. Yeah. And like nothing's clicking. You're out of rhythm. You're out of beat. Yeah. And all of a sudden the next day it just hits you randomly. Yeah. And your mood just flips right immensely it's crazy so i just love it from that aspect but also the the collaboration piece mm-hmm. is everyone similar to what we were talking about with security i think when we went out to dinner a couple of months back it's so complex and i think that's what scares a lot of people about it like oh i need a phd in order to do so right they think mm-hmm. they, they think the same with music and it's really not that so i love just taking people in teach them how to do it seeing like the the excitement on their face once they start to understand how to like blend songs right i love that it's just awesome. a, it's a great way to go about it that's great yeah Really nice. How long have you been uh, into music and producing, DJing? Yeah, I, I recently got into that. Um, so played baseball pretty much my whole life. Um, broke my ankle and mm. then um, broke my wrist a few times. Oh, so geez. started with guitar. And then after a while, I was like, I can't do this. This hurts my wrist Ooh. really bad. So that's when I started getting into electronic music. I'd say probably in the middle of uh, college, but didn't have the money to uh, invest in the equipment. <laughs> so I kind of yeah. just did it um, slow mm-hmm. over the past couple of years. And now I've gotten really into it just on the weekends. Yeah. Would, would you let your music sort of take over your entire life? Like if it got to the point where like you got to play at uh, EDC, you got to play <laughs> at all these like big festivals, like would you let music sort of take you completely away from sales or? That's a good question. I yeah. always kind of go back and forth because now I've seen the lifestyle of like what a lot of these DJs would do because I'm in right. just a different avenue of it where yeah. I think the last two weeks was 10 states in 10 days. Oh, wow. So you kind of see that, and I'm like, whoa, this is a really extreme lifestyle. And then yeah. you, you're with all these people, and then you go to your hotel room alone. And yeah. That was, I guess you learn a lot about yourself. My advice to you, oh, yeah. travel by yourself, because yeah. you learn mm-hmm. a ton. Oh, just, absolutely. I mean, we could just talk about my uh, stint here at the house, uh, you know, for three months or so by myself without my family, because my family was still in Atlanta. Oh, really? Okay. Learn, learned a ton, but I think you nailed it right there. And so you were traveling for music. No, it's actually all for work. Oh, all for work. So okay. then I started to, because I've had a bunch of buddies who um, have gone pretty far in music careers yeah. and they just pulled themselves out. It's like it wasn't the lifestyle I wanted. Right. Did and you then, ever watch the documentary um, on Steve Aoki, I'll Sleep When I'm yep. Dead? The mo- he was, uh, what, one year, the most traveled DJ on the planet? Yep. I couldn't imagine that guy's schedule every day probably on a plane oh my goodness like it was insane like several planes yeah and and there was a part in the documentary where he was like talking to his manager he's like you messed up and i come to find out the manager forgot to schedule in sleep for steve aoki (laughs) (laughs) and so he just like went through like this like 36 hour like spree of like media and performing and all kinds of crazy and photo shoots like, I, I can't imagine that life. Like, would you find that exciting or would you be like, no, that's daunting? Yeah, <laughs> I, I guess that like always goes back and forth, too, because it's like it's something I really love. Yeah. And then when you start making it into a career where you're making money off it, is right. it like something you love anymore? Mm-hmm. Or is it more of like you're chasing something that maybe you're missing? 
Right. Um, so I don't know. I always kind of go back and forth, but I've got a bunch of buddies who want to continue to pursue it. So yeah. for right now, we'll leave it as a hobby, I guess, uh, okay. is a, on the long answer. Nice. Food for thought. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, it was uh, an honor having you on the show. Absolutely. Uh, very important question to ask you before we wrap up is, what's the best way for someone to reach you or stay in contact? Yeah. Um, I'm a big fan, uh, obviously, of LinkedIn. I would say that's probably the the most. And then if it if it's a good uh, conversation and I trust someone, then they'll get the phone number and everything. And Absolutely. probably the same thing for you guys. Yep. But yeah, I like that because there's so many different message channels. Um, it's really hard sometimes to stay up on top of it. Whereas LinkedIn, I feel like, is kind of like this portfolio of business cards now mm-hmm. where you meet someone, you remember their face. It's actually more like personal than having like contacts in your phone book. So I would probably say LinkedIn for my end. Okay, and then is there anywhere people can actually enjoy your music? Or are you putting music out yet, or is it not coming? Yet, okay, not yet, yeah. all right, in the future. Yeah, yeah. stay tuned. <laughs> that, that's uh, show number two. Yes. <laughs> also, um, any shout-outs you'd like to make uh, about maybe you're building your team out more or maybe some organizations that you're a part of? Yeah, um, I've started looking into the, uh, the nonprofits, but um, I would say more for a shout-out is just uh, the members of my team. So what I mentioned before we hopped on this was – got people from the Middle East all the way over to the States um, and they put in great work and I love seeing people grow and helping them kind of hit that sprout in their career. So um, I guess that would actually be from one of my advisors back at Chico State. Mm. Um, right. Ripped my resume apart was probably the most awkward thing in my career and it's got me to where I am today. So his name is uh, Ken out of the Career Center there. So um, more respect to him as well. Awesome. Outstanding. Great. Thanks, Derek. Really appreciate you coming to the show. It was a great one. Really yeah. appreciate it. You guys got something good cooking up here, so it's exciting to see how much it's growth. So Yeah, thank you. Thanks. See you all next time. See you.